What insights can be gleaned from the newest book on Opportunity Zone Investing? Find out next as I'm joined by best-selling author Jim White. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Joining me today is Dr. Jim White founder and CEO of Post Harvest Technologies and the PHT Opportunity Fund. Jim is also a best-selling author. His latest book is titled Opportunity Investing, How to Revitalize Urban and Rural Communities with Opportunity Funds. Jim joins us today from his home office in Greenwich, Connecticut. Jim, thanks for coming on the show with me today. My pleasure, Jimmy. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. I know uh, we spoke a few months back when you were still writing the book and it's great to have you on now that the book is released. Uh, it just released March 31, just a few short weeks ago. How has the response been so far? The response under the conditions has been excellent, Jimmy. Um, I started writing the book in April of 2019 with a release date of March, and uh, God knows then we had a, pan- a pandemic, and, uh, but uh, the book's been accepted uh, quite well, so thank you for asking. Good, good. And uh, so let's let's dive into your book, Opportunity Investing. I've, I've had a chance to read through it a little bit, and I, I've found that the main thesis of your book is that, in many ways, our nation is in crisis. Too many communities got left behind from the recovery of the Great Recession of 2008, but the Opportunity Zones policy comes along here, and it offers a solution to this problem of distressed communities in both urban and rural areas throughout the country. Jim, what, what is the main message of your book, and, and to whom are you really trying to get that message across? Jimmy, the main message of the book is just that. Too many communities, both urban and rural, have been left behind. And specifically, it got more chronic after 2008 and 2009. I wanted to bring awareness to that problem. And the book is written to several audiences, primary audience being investors that has capital gains opportunity. And our message to them is say, here's an alternative to the regular investments that you have. And the other audience is the community at large, especially the cities and the state governments and the local municipalities in the way of education. Say there are other alternatives that's available through the Qualified Opportunity Zones and the Qualified Opportunity Fund Initiative. Good. I want to talk with you more about that and kind of dive into your book, talk about distressed communities, talk about community development and community revitalization here in a little bit. But first, I want to back up just for a minute, Jim, and get a little bit of your background. And maybe you can tell me and my audience about when you first learned of Opportunity Zones, how it first got on your radar. And when did you come to the decision that you would write a book on this topic? December of 2017, uh, the uh, Tax Act. And uh, I've always been an individual that fallen on the legislation, especially as it related to incentives and disruptions and uh, uh, different things of that sort. 
So when I started reading through the uh, uh, Jobs Act and Jack Tax Act in December 2017, I ran across this particular section on qualified opportunity zones. Well, it, it struck me because I'm a kid that actually came from a distressed community in rural South Carolina many, many years ago. So as I started researching it, I said, hmm, here's an opportunity uh, to uh, not only uh, make investment, but to have some social aspect as well. So as we started digging into the legislation, uh, started unfolding, uh, I decided uh, during 2018 uh, that I was going to write the book. So we watched all of the legislation, trying to get a handle around what it was and what it was not going to be. Well, as you know, uh, by being one of the early, uh, I'm going to use the word adopters uh, of this particular uh, initiative, uh, the rules were always changing. So, and there were complex rules. So I said, what can I do to take a complex subject and, and just cut to the chase and uh, release a book and walk people through exactly what qualified opportunity zones are and what qualified opportunity funds are and how you can use the two together to reach out into these uh, communities and start making a very positive impact. So I just started uh, writing the book in April, uh, as I said, in 2019. And uh, it's been a steady process. Uh, as you know, writing any book is undertaken. In addition to running, I run five different companies as well, all very diversified. Uh, but it's, uh, it's close to my heart because it, uh, it speaks to my roots, if you will. And, uh, and uh, I've been one of the more fortunate ones over the years to be able to uh, have a certain amount of, uh, uh, develop a certain amount of uh, affluence and uh, by a lot of hard work, because a lot of people just left behind. And I don't think that the uh, government is always the answer to all of our needs, even though there was the government that made this program come about. So uh, it's just uh, it's just a subject that's very uh, dear to me. And uh, my mission is to educate and to get the investor groups to understand that they do have alternatives and how we can impact uh, kids, uh, all types of communities. Yeah, this certainly sounds like it's very personal to you if if you grew up in one of these distressed communities uh, back in the day and lifted yourself out of poverty, good for you. And now you're paying, uh, you're paying it back in a way. That's, that's, that's great. Do you, do you feel like there's a public awareness problem with this program and, and your book can kind of help reach out to a wider audience? There is a uh, public awareness uh, issue. Uh, the intent of the book was to just do that. Uh, to make it available, to reach out to a wider audience. Uh, it's education. And I know you do a lot of that and have been doing a lot of that over the past two or three years. And uh, the funds and the zones have also got some bad press over the, the time. And uh, so my, my, my purpose is to make sure that we can educate and anybody will listen to the message, any place that we can send the book. Uh, certainly when I wrote the book, had no, uh, no illusions that I was going to get rich on writing the book, uh, but I wanted a tool that uh, we could uh, just start to send uh, hundreds out 
just educate, just get them out, just get people, just make make this whole program, uh, um, bring it to the surface, educate people. No, yeah, I think it's great what you've done. You've taken a very complex topic and and distilled it in a, a fairly easy to consume format, the, the book that you have there. And I, I think a lot more education is needed. I mean, that's why my site, OpportunityDB.com, exists in, in large part is to educate people. And it's part of the infrastructure, really, that needs to be set up here. And the I know I keep saying we're in the early days of the Opportunity Zones program, even though the legislation was passed over two years ago now, but we really still are setting up that infrastructure in terms of funds getting set up and the uh, the public being educated on the topic and the fact that we only just got uh, final regs from Treasury and the IRS just a few short months ago. It's uh, still still kind of an uphill battle to get everybody on the same page and educate about what this program is is all about. So, Jim, I want to dive into your book and and uh, explore some of the topics that that you discuss. One is distressed communities, obviously, uh, kind of the catalyst for the whole program. The fact that we have all of these really distressed communities all over the country, and I talk about distressed communities a lot on this show, and and that's the basis for the Opportunity Zone program. But I don't know that I've ever really gone into detail about what is actually happening in distressed communities. What is what does a distressed community really mean? So maybe you can kind of paint us a picture of 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 what happens in uh, what what we refer to as a distressed community, and and maybe you can also talk about who who should step up and take responsibility. Great question, Jimmy. Um, when I was researching the book, I actually would go out in some of the distressed communities. For example, uh, when it comes to mind in California, Stockton, California, for example, uh, Stockton had a very uh, economic uh, depressed time after two thousand and eight. Unemployment was high. People were, businesses were leaving. Drug abuse, it was just horrible. So as I would drive down the street, I would stop and I would visit different shops. I would talk to shop attendants, business owners. I talked to local officials. And uh, one thing became clear, when you would stand on the corner and you would see um, maybe a drug deal going down, I put it that way, which, which would happen. Then you would see people dropping out of school. Then you would see the gang involved. And I would say, well, that's pretty distressed. If that doesn't fit the definition of where we need to invest, trying to get people off the street and to be able to improve uh the infrastructure, infrastructure specifically the buildings and doing the facelift and giving people an opportunity to open a business and being able to facilitate the incubators and uh, and and helping people uh, get back and and develop a trade, if you will. One at a time, as uh, as naive as that may sound, I believe that this particular initiative. Uh, was a great tool for that. Uh, so when you look at the faces of people uh, with no hope, uh, well, that's distress. And who's responsible? I think we're all responsible to, to a degree. I think a lot of our government, government programs, as well intended as they are, they often fall short because there is no measure or accountability to the program. I think individual business leaders are responsible to a degree because uh, we're all looking at short-term 
profits earnings and not figuring out a way how we can take that and put it back into the community and help develop in those communities. So um, it's looking at those faces, looking at those individuals with no hope, looking at people that have no job. Uh, well, you've got to want to do better. Uh, so how do we how do we give people the motivation or help them obtain the motivation to be able to want to do better in their community and, and develop pride in those communities? So that's how I describe distressed communities. It's just heart-wrenching sometimes when you see what's happening in those communities, especially with people. You look at them like their faces are just drawn and there's there's no hope. And well, this particular initiative says we can give you some hope if you want to be part of the solution. And we're all responsible for that in my mind. You mentioned drugs, you mentioned crime, you mentioned uh, lack of education or lack of quality education, at least. Is there an infrastructure problem in a lot of these communities as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of infrastructure problems. The quality, uh, uh, I mean, the roads themselves, for example, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the uh, electrical, uh, a lot of the plumbing, uh, uh, the water systems. I speak in the book about some issues in, uh, in, in, in Ohio about the uh, uh, the water system being so tainted uh, that it started poisoning the uh, uh, folks. And uh, so, yes, there's a huge infrastructure problem in these distressed communities because they're forgotten. Right. And then, uh, well, along comes this Opportunity Zone policy initiative to really try to spur private investment into these these economically distressed communities and bring community revitalization. So Jim, I want to ask you now, you know, we kind of defined what a distressed community looks like. What does success look like when it comes to community revitalization? What are you looking to achieve with the Opportunity Zone initiative? What does success look like? In my mind, being able to uh, go into a community not only bring the necessary funds and work with a business, as you know, it's called, you know, qualified opportunity business within that zone uh, to be able to help them develop business plans or have an existing business, how you can uh, put some capital in that particular business to be able to teach them how to grow expand, uh, create more jobs. And, and the biggest thing of, of, of that is, is pride, 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 pride. Pride goes a long way. If you're walking around holding your head low, your self-esteem is just at the bottom of the barrel. So anything that you can do to get people excited, it's as simple as maybe it's just painting a, a fence or uh, or painting an old building or adding to that building. Anything that we can do to add value to that community and get people excited about it and continue to uh, create uh, create more jobs as is coming to that community, that to me is it's success. Now, maybe jumping ahead of the interview a little bit, Jimmy, but it comes to mind that 
when I'm talking to a particular investor or a fund, sometimes it's a very challenging, I'm going to use the word sale, to say, oh, I've got capital gains and all the benefits associated with investing in a fund. But you're, what I'm hearing from you, White, is that you want to take my money and invest it over here in this community. So what type of returns am I going to get? And that's where you got to be prepared to be able to show that it is a business transaction as well. So when we're talking to potential businesses in these zones, that's one of the messages that, that we are going to It's not a giveaway. You've got to have a viable business in order to get anyone's attention. So, and so that's, that's been some educational uh, challenges that I've, I've had uh, thus far is to be able to get people to understand. It's not a giveaway. It's a business transaction. Uh, and, and if we do it right, if we teach people how to run their businesses, and there's a section in there, part four of the book, is where I talk about how to run profitable uh, opportunity funds and zones. Uh, people, people can be uh, very successful uh, with, with, the, with, with the program. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. No, this is this is not just a handout. This is this is intended to to make some money for the investor as well. Uh, otherwise, you know, what's the point for a lot of these investors? Or you're not going to get a lot of people's attention. I mean, yeah, you need to show a good return, and a lot of these funds all around the nation do, and and um, certainly it has the tax benefit on the back end as well. And and you're doing a little bit of good too. I mean, really, I kind of view. Opportunity zones as, and I, and I think you were kind of alluding to this also as a catalyst for that change within these communities, you know, and, and, and getting people to take pride in their communities, the opportunity zone investing can become a catalyst for that. Maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, how at a macro level, investing in opportunity zones can, can spur further economic development in these communities. Yes. Different states are also adopting different programs to, to see it be a value add. I know, for example, the state of California, uh, one state uh, particularly that uh, we do a lot of businesses and also uh, reside in the Carmel uh, Monterey area. Uh, they're currently working on a program with HUD uh, for low income housing and also to be able to make some funds available to the municipality in regards to for infrastructure particularly. So if you can combine the two, so as, as you said, oftentimes you will have a fund that will come into the zone and uh, it's just, it's, I'm gonna use the term, it's old, old school term. It's got a pencil and it's gotta be solid. It's gotta be a solid transaction. And uh, how you have the two to work together uh, is, is actually uh, what, what we're looking for because a lot of times, uh, if you put, if you have a lot of infrastructure need, infrastructure defined as the roads and, uh, and, and that type of thing to get to that, well, it's going to be kind of a hard to get a return on that, if you will, especially in some of these communities. So if you can combine that with the state or local working together, uh, I think you can, uh, uh, you can, you can be very successful. But that also comes, uh, comes with the challenges to be able to uh, know how to, uh, obtain for these funds and and especially in these local community, getting your city councils is what preferred to in Calgary, getting your city councils involved, getting your planning commission, getting your economic development commissions, getting your city mayors, uh, and and because it, they 
really don't know anything about these funds. That's what I'm saying. They don't understand. And if, what they do know is uh, not 100% accurate, if, if you if, if you will. So uh, getting get the two to work together, uh, getting into the states and the cities and the developers and the funds and the businesses uh, to work together is going to be that magic sauce. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think getting the buy-in from the city councils, from the from the county supervisors, and from the regional economic development agencies, uh, all these different levels of of local government, getting that buy-in, and some certainly have bought in. Stockton, an example, Erie, Pennsylvania, an example. Uh, but but yeah, a lot of others still a little bit behind the curve. Uh, it'd be great to get them up to speed. And I think uh, again, I think your book kind of helps serve that purpose to bring more public awareness to the program. So uh, I think this is great. We spoke briefly about education in distressed communities and how, you know, a lot of kids are dropping out of schools in some of these more poverty stricken areas. A lot of them, which have been designated as opportunity zones, Jim, how can opportunity zones be leveraged to improve education? I know you've got a section in your book where you talk about how opportunity zones can help, get schools either improved or, or new schools built. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I, I don't think a lot of people think about, about education in, in terms of opportunity zones oftentimes. Education, I look at it from not only from, say, uh, middle school, high school, community colleges, the higher education, but also the technical side. So what I've seen is, especially in some of these communities where you've got people, they don't want to go to college but they need a trade. So there's a lot of trade schools that are for profit. And uh, and so uh, we're seeing some of that being developed through some of the boys and girls club, believe it or not, is to be able to take uh, their influence and their footprint and, and to be able to take their programs and and encouraging people to transition into some of these technical schools. And these schools are for profit, and they also have a lot of uh, tax benefits, and you also have a lot of grants uh, from it. And uh, so there's, there's, there's investments there. And it, it, it's, as you say, Jimmy, it's not one of those things that a lot of people talk about in qualified op- opportunity funds and, and the QOZs. Uh, because it's a little bit more complex to be able to meet the rules that we got to meet for that. But it is doable. And uh, that's a passion of mine. If we can uh, make education available, uh, where it's, uh, you know, getting finishing your high school, uh, getting your G- GED, uh, and also being able to go into technical school. If you want to go to community college, you make a transition uh, and, and, and having this being the uh, tools uh, to invest in. Now, one investor I've talked to about the education side of it says, Jim, that's, that's, that's fantastic. However, uh, it's not going to give me the returns I'm looking for. And I would say, yeah, you could be right. Let's look at this. Let's look at it this way. Um, how, how, about, how about the donation side? So there's, I'm always looking at investors coming to our fund many different ways you have a certain amount of money that you could donate as well, which is can make you money under the right tax bracket, right? For as you different deductions that are available. So we're always looking for those 
those combinations for people to understand. It. So we've got to be able to maximize the education in the community. If they've got to go 100 miles or drive 100 miles out there to go across town, uh, what can we do in the community in conjunction with, uh, say, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, the Ys, and uh, that's, that's, that's an untapped area in QOZs, Jimmy. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. There are some organizations there already that that could be leveraged. The Boys and Girls Club and YMCA, YWCA, uh, you know, their involvement in in, in education and opportunity zones um, could be key. Uh, they're anchored institutions uh, in in many of those locations for sure. Um, well, and Jim, in addition to you being an author and and having this new book out, you're also the founder and CEO of Post Harvest Technologies and the PHT. Opportunity Fund, which I alluded to in the intro. Could, could you tell us a little bit more about your Opportunity Zone investment strategy for that fund? Sure. Post Harvest Technologies is uh, one of the companies I'm the CEO and the shareholder of, and uh, founded the PhD Opportunity Fund in January of 2018, when it had to select I set it up for one reason. Uh, one of my companies, we owned a 28-acre campus, we call it, in Salinas, California. And, what it, and that campus has been in existence since 1936. And it's for the ag industry. And the campus, we do what's called pre-cooling uh, of vegetables. And then it goes into a cooler. Well, we currently have about 300,000 square feet on this campus. It's in a qualified opportunity zone right in the uh, center of Salinas, California, if you will. So I said, wow, I want to set up our own fund. We need to redevelop the campus. And what better way to actually do, 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 do a fund and become a QOZ business at the same time? So for the past two years, we've been, been in planning, and uh, we're in the redevelopment stage. It's going to be about $138 million uh, redevelopment. And a big part of that is coming from our fund, from the Qualified Opportunity Fund, invested in the, right in the zone. And we currently employ 350 people in the uh, tip of the season. When we get through, uh, we'll expand it, probably 500, uh, 500 people. We're adding more jobs. We're... Uh, cleaning up what we call the end of the city, the kind of uh, facelifting part of our, our Salinas Valley, if you will. So we're actually, uh, uh, fun is uh, facilitating doing the redevelopment of our campus that's been around since 1936. Oh, that's great. Uh, we, we briefly mentioned that uh, we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. We're recording this episode mid-April here. So, you know, we've been under stay-at-home orders in across much of the country for several weeks now. Has, has that affected the, the fund at all, Jim, so far? It, it has, Jimmy. It, it has affected uh, uh, the fund. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be uh, that bad. We had certain commitments uh, already. And as I said, as long as you got a solid plan uh, and that plan is moving forward, uh, I think you're going to be okay. I think if you are a new fund uh, going out, say just new coal, if you will, uh, it may be a little slower, uh, but it's, it's going to come back. Uh, it, it's going to come back. But 
COVID-19 certainly has uh, affected our business. Uh, we are considered one of the essential business, being in the food and the logistics supply side and, and Salinas. That within itself has created more challenges for us because uh, the social distancing we've got to do, the different precautions we're having to take into place. I mean, for, for example, today, uh, this, uh, we season's just getting started in Salinas Valley, and I think we had about 200 trucks, uh, what we call long-haul trucks, to show up to the campus to be able to get loaded with uh, produce, if you will, to go out to different parts of the country. And the challenge there is how do you social distance all the truck drivers, right? Uh, how do you do that logistics? And uh, so that's some of, the, some of the challenge we have. And we see that from the food service side of the business, it's probably going to be off 50 to 75 percent uh, this season, which is is you know it's it's quite quite severe. And uh, so we're we're doing all that dance as well. Well, that being the case, how does that affect our P&L and our balance sheet and our cash flow? Uh, in our in our model that we have for the campus to the fund and the redevelopment. So all of those things go hand in hand. So you just got to stay out in uh, front of it. And uh, uh, I've seen a lot of a lot of different crises over my uh, over the years. And but this one is certainly different. And it's um, it's hour by hour management right now to stay ahead of it. That's good, Jim. So now you're you're an experienced business owner and you've been CEO of multiple companies and now you're running this PHT opportunity fund and you wrote a little bit about this in a section of your book as well. Maybe you can kind of take us through some of the lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of operating an opportunity fund and 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 lessons that uh that that you'd like to share with with other folks out there uh who may be running their fund on, you know, how to run a profitable qualified opportunity zone fund. What I wanted to do in that section, Jimmy, was to take my many years of experience and uh, when I, I don't get old, I just get more seasoned as you can become more seasoned. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, I used to buy and sell companies. That's, that's what I did for a lot of years. I bought and sold 23 different companies all around the world. Lessons learned there. Uh, how do you manage those companies? Uh, how, do you, uh, how do you put a plan together? How do you build a team? Uh, how do you hold people accountable? How do you get the funding you need in regular times? Um, how do you um, create a mission and a vision and, and values that you really are going to hold firm on? So all of these things are, are critical. And uh, I developed a process I called the Circle of Success many years ago. And it was a very specific process where it starts, and I got uh, you know all these different components. Uh, the vision, what is, what is your vision, and make sure that that is concrete and that's real. If you can't see the end in mind, then you're guessing it is the way I put it. Then if you're not clear of what your fund is going to be, and, and I tell them about where you come to my fund or any of the funds that you've got listed on your site, they all have a specialty, if you will. Each investor has an appetite for a particular asset class. So you need to know how and what your mission is. Don't get outside of your wheelhouse, right? So be very focused on that. And then goal setting, goal setting, uh, accountability. And I developed a process we call our goal and control process. And what is that? 
All of our companies, by the fifth day of the every month, our books are closed. You, you're, you're closed. You know exactly what your financials are. And then the mid-month, mid the team comes together, executive team, and it's not a staff meeting. It's an accountability meeting. It's like, what was your goal? You're on target. You're off target. Pretty simple, but a lot of people don't do that. A lot of organizations don't do that. And if you're not staying ahead of it and driving, driving forward, you're just going to get run over. And especially when, when a crisis like this occurs, if you are not on top of your cash flow, and if you don't have the right relationship, we we'll say, with your uh, operational banks, and this is what I learned a long time ago. If you go to a bank and you say, I'm going to do this, you better do a thing. The more you deliver on your commitments, obviously your credibility is going to increase. The more your credibility increases, you're going to develop that trust. The more you get more trust, more people are going to be open to your ideas. And, and especially when you're managing people's money, it's all about trust. It's all about track record. So that's what I wanted to do in part four is to take all of my experience and I lay out step one, step two, step three, do this, do this. And it's not anything that's based on from an academic. It's based on experience, what works and what didn't work. And that's what I wanted to lay out in part four of the book. Uh, hopefully it's going to help many fund managers to be able to manage these funds. The last thing we need is, is a fund to get a bad reputation because that hurts us all, right, in the industry. So that's what I wanted to accomplish from that section of the book. Yeah, that, that, and that's great, Jim. A really good practical lesson there for staying on top of your business. Uh, could, couldn't agree more with, with a, lot of the, a lot of the points you made just now. T toward the end of your book, Jim, you also have some ideas for some overlooked areas, uh, locations, and sectors that you feel are the most ripe for qualified opportunity fund investments. Uh, would you mind, could you, could you go through some of those right now? Sure. Um, sectors that are commonly over, overlooked is um, uh, leasing, for example, being, being, being one, uh, being able to manufacturing different, different manufacturing, uh, uh, amusement parks, for example, uh, theaters, more uh, theaters, uh, even the arts, I believe it or not, even, even the arts are some uh, sectors that uh, is, is overlooked uh, in the uh, fund. And uh, even that, I mean, art itself, if you sell it, it's considered capital gains. So you, one would think, wow, but it's not being looked at. So there's some sectors that we can look at uh, that, was, that were qualified and it's, and it's very creative. Uh, different uh, other sectors would be uh, actually doing long-term uh, infra infrastructure projects, uh, roads, bridges, things like that. And people say, hmm, qualified opportunity fund would do that? Yeah, there is. There's some combinations there that would make it, make it very attractive. And uh, uh, I would see some of the major funds, such as uh, – Carlisle and other people like that. I mean, it's one of their major asset classes is just doing that. So I'm saying you could also, uh, through the Opportunity Fund and Opportunity Zones, we can do some very, very similar things as well. Uh, so uh, drug rehab, uh, medical clinics, uh, uh, 
innovation centers, uh, incubators, uh, all of those type of things are certainly available uh, that you can invest in as long as it's in a qualified opportunity zone. Good. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of good ones in there. Uh, good things for our listeners to think about today. Uh, well, Jim, this has been great. Thanks for coming on the show and speaking with me today. I want to wrap things up here, but before we go, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and buy your book? Opportunityinvesting.com, opportunityinvesting.com, and uh, phdopportunityfund.com. So you can uh, go to either one, buy the book uh, to opportunityinvesting.com. Excellent. Opportunityinvesting.com it is. so. And for our listeners out there, I will have show notes, as I always do, on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes for today's episode at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that Jim and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to link to opportunityinvesting.com so you can get your hands on uh, on the book if you're interested. Uh, Jim, again, great conversation today. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. And uh, keep up the great work, my friend. Uh, you're doing a lot of great stuff to help get our message out. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.